Well, good morning. It's uh, awesome to see all of you on this lovely spring day. I'm an internal optimist, so there's that. Um, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them to Matthew chapter 7. That's where we'll be today. Our text is Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, two verses today. Um, for those of you who think I go too slow, I want to say I doubled the amount of text that we're going through. Last week, I went through just one verse. I, uh, while you're turning there, let me invite you to two things. I need actually your help in scheduling a couple things. One is a few of you have come to me and asked if you'd, uh, that you'd like to be baptized. Uh, so if you have a desire to be baptized, I want to schedule that with you in mind so that you can be there and be a part of that. Um, we practice believer's baptism, which means that we believe that it is entirely appropriate for a believer, one who has made their faith their own, who is trusting in Christ, to go through the waters of baptism to show everyone that they are identified with Christ. They are buried with him and they are raised to new life in him, uh, just like that picture of baptism shows. So if that's you, if you feel like God is leading you, you haven't been baptized as a believer, I want to invite you to come see me, come talk to me uh, this week. Um, if you can, or let me know that you're interested and we'll have that conversation. I just, uh, I just want to talk to you about the gospel, about uh, what baptism is, and just make sure that there's good understanding there, and then we'll schedule that. The second thing is that uh, a few have asked about a membership class this spring, and I'd like to start that soon too. So if you'd like to join Ridgeview Bible Church, if you consider this your home and you want to join Ridgeview Bible Church, uh, we'll have a, a three-week class coming up soon. I don't have dates yet because I want to see what will work for everybody, but soon, as in, in, a, in a few weeks, we'll, we'll begin that. It'll be during the Sunday school hour, um, from, from 9 to 10. In, in my office is where we usually do those classes. A couple of elders uh, teach it, and we'll go through what the church is, uh, what it means to be a member, all of those kind of things. You can join that. I mean, you could be a part of that class and not join, but that you can't, you can't join without going through that class. So you can go through that class just to, to, to feel the waters, feel what, what it means to be uh, a member. Um, but that's the way if you'd like to become a member of Ridgey Bible Church. So either of those two things, if you'd like to know more about it, if you have questions, my information is, or all the, any of the elders is in the bulletin that we handed you. And you could reach out by email or by text, and I will do my best to try to uh, steer you on. All right, so our text Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The word of God says this. This is the words of Jesus, our Savior. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let's pray. Father, we come before you wanting for you to move in our hearts, believing you to do that, asking you now to do that through your word. And specifically, we pray that you would help us to see things as they really are. The, the world's way can be so bewitching. It can be so alluring. It can be so desirous. It, it can steal our hearts But the end is destruction. It's not a good way. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that this morning. Help us to see how it really is. So that we might enter the narrow gate. The way that leads to life. Hard though it may be. I pray that you would 
move in our hearts this morning, compelling and swaying us away from the lie of the world. And Lord, I pray with, we pray together, would you be big in this place today? Would you be everything? Would Christ be big here today? I, I'm good with being forgotten. Let Christ be magnified here in our hearts, in this sermon, in our faith, in our church. And Lord, I, with Paul, I, I, I think who is sufficient for these things? I, I know I am not, but I, I don't rely on my own sufficiency even a little bit. I rely on the sufficiency of the word and we know that your word is enough. And so Lord, I pray that you would use your word in the life of your people to change, to convict, to encourage, to uplift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My, my son gave me a, uh, a really nice map of Nebraska for Christmas as a Christmas gift this year, or last year. I hung it in my office. Uh, it's really cool. It's drawn like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen these maps before, but it's drawn like the Lord of the Rings maps, like Middle Earth in the Lord of the Rings. You ever seen those maps? Well, I have a map of Nebraska that's drawn like that. It's hanging in my office. It's, it's really cool. All the land features are drawn. You know, the buttes, the, the rivers, the forests, all of those you see drawn onto it. The city names are there too. In fact, most people who've been in my office and have looked at that map, they just want to see if their, if their city of 71 people is listed. And so far, the map has done well. Everybody's been like, yeah, my town's there, so... Uh, it's all there. So you should take a look. If you, next time you're in my office, say if you want to talk about being baptized, uh, come to my office. <laughs> you can look at my map. Um, but it's there. Maps can be artsy like that, right? I mean, you can have a really pretty map. But at the end of the day, what's the real purpose? What's the real need of a map? Why do we have maps? What, what's the purpose? We don't use maps as much as we used to, right? We don't use road atlases. I mean, we use navigation devices, but it's the same thing. If we don't know the way, a mapping device helps us to get to the location, not get sidetracked, not get lost, not to arrive at a different place, like the place you weren't wanting to go. We just say something like, you know, hey Siri, give me directions to a coffee shop. And up it comes and tells us how to get there. I can hardly find my way when driving through a city or hiking in a forest without a navigation device rolling. I need them. I'm bad at directions. I, I, I'm also not good like you've been there, like in a car where everyone's yelling about which direction you should turn. I'm, I'm not great with that either. I like, having, I like having a nav device telling me turn left, you know, at the next stoplight. It's a sure thing. Maps tell us how to get somewhere. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is a map of sorts. The Sermon on the Mount shows us how to get to the one destination that we need to find more than any other destination in life. That is life. And avoid the awful destination that so many are traveling to, destruction. That's the imagery that's evoked in these verses, verses 13 through 14. But really, it is threaded throughout the sermon. It begins with, you know, the Sermon on the Mount begins, Matthew 5, 1, it begins with like the beginning of this navigation. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's the beginning point of this map. 
And there are waypoints all throughout, touching every area of our lives, like every area, if you think of it. The Sermon on the Mount, it touches our marriages, our thought lives, our religious lives, all of it. It, it goes everywhere. And of course, this is crucial for us because there's people like yelling at us to go turn left here, take a shortcut here, go this way, go that way. Don't take that road, Mike. It's, it's hard. Next week, we're going to hear a warning from Jesus about that. There are people who are believable and compelling, and they're calling out to us directions, ways that they think we should go. They're bewitching ways, ways that seem right. They're trying to sway us from the way, promising that their way is better. But of course, it's not better. Jesus is the one who knows the way. We have to trust the map that he has drawn for us. As we get here to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there are several map features just drawn out for us. With verse 13, we're entering the conclusion phase of the sermon. So we're arriving. And here on our cool map, there are things drawn for us. There are two gates drawn for us. That's what we, we have today. Two gates, one, one that leads to a good way and one that leads to a bad way. And then next week, we'll see two trees. One with good fruit and one with bad. And then a couple of weeks from now, Lord willing, we'll see two houses. One built on a good foundation and one that's built on sand. Three sets of twos. And the message of all of them is really clear. There are two choices to choose from. Not three, not many. There are two. There's no third way, no private way. There's no way that's just for you, that works just for you. There's no shortcut. There's nothing like that. Jesus wants us to know that there are two paths. And all of you, all of us, will take one or the other. One that leads to life and one that leads to destruction. It seems more complex than that, though, doesn't it? Like, doesn't it seem more complex than just two ways? We add layers of complexity as we ponder decisions and choices and directions, but really in every situation in every decision and in life in general, you know, in the very smallest decisions we make and in life's direction in general, there really are, it really does come down to two gates, either following the way of Christ that leads to life or walking away from him on a path that leads to destruction. As we press into this today, I think we should all, really no matter where we are in this life that we're living, I think we all should li listen to Jesus very carefully. Whether you're a longtime Christian or just checking things out today, I think Jesus has a message for you, a message that literally has life and death implications, a message that affects all of life's big and small decisions. Which way will we take? There's one imperative in this little paragraph that I read to you. One imperative, one command. It's the first few words of the sentence, right? The first sentence of verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. That's the command. The, the rest of what we see here are reasons why we should enter that gate and not choose another gate. That's, that's, that's how this passage works. So for us to go through this, I think it'd be helpful if we just would consider the three things he says about each way. He describes both ways and he says three things about each one. Um, he says that three things, you know, the, the way is wide, easy, leads to destruction. And the other one is narrow and hard and leads to life. And so we'll just press into those things. So what does Jesus say about the easy and wide way that leads to destruction? There's, I said all the three things in the question, right? 
It's, it's easy, it's wide, and it leads to destruction. So the way that leads to destruction is wide. Now, in what sense? In the sense that it's the path that most of the world takes. That's why, what he means by wide. And, you know, he says that right here. He says that, that, that many on it. Many are on it. This is the popular route. It's the popularity and that, that makes its wideness. And that's really why it's so appealing to people. It's, it's so popular. Everybody's doing it, you know? If you've ever been on a metro or a subway in a crowded city, you can probably relate to wanting to go the direction that everybody else is going. You know what I mean? Like, in, if you've ever been in New York, um, the crowd is all going one way. You don't want to go another way. And this must be the right way, right? Because, because that's where everyone's going. And so you just follow the crowd and hopefully it'll get to your train so that you can get to wherever you're going on time. Yeah, it usually works. Works for me most of the time. I, sometimes it didn't, but most of the time. But it doesn't work in life. That, that method might work on a metro or a subway. It doesn't work in life. Because the crowd is almost always wrong. The crowd has universally rejected the way of the one who made the map and the one who is the one who made us. If you've ever read the book of Romans, that's where Paul begins. He begins that letter, which basically makes clear, Paul set out in the book of Romans to make clear the greatest news ever. But he begins that letter by helping us see that most everyone, how we have all chosen the wrong path on the map. We reject and have rejected since Adam the way that leads to life. So maybe you can just note this. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but Romans 1, 21 through 23. Paul said, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I mean, that's the path the world has chosen, right? They've rejected God. They've turned to their own senses, their own values, and by those, they have tried to navigate life without God. And that's not a historical reality. That's a modern reality. That's, that's a timeless reality. People of all ages have done that and are doing that. And it's tempting to do that. I mean, who wants to go against the flow? Who wants to be on the wrong side of history? Whatever that means. We want to be esteemed by others. We, we want to be the suave and trendy people who know the way. We want to be accepted. The way is really wide. It's so wide, in fact, that people have in that way carved out their smaller ways within that way, their own little paths. The way to life, they think, is through pleasure or through comfort or through the accumulation of wealth, the increasing of one's net worth, the, through athletic achievement, through self, and then others through more what we would think of as pious means like self-denial and asceticism and special diets and lifestyles. Maybe the way is by following a religion, this religion or that. Maybe it's through fitness or meditation or whatever. There's endless little ways in that big way. There are tons of little paths, like the the many cattle trails you'll find in a pasture going this way and that way, crisscrossing. But all of them together are part of this big wide path that Jesus calls the way of destruction. 
There are only two ways, the way of Christ and then this wide way that everyone else is taking, super wide, super open-minded way. So that's the first thing, it's really wide and that should help us be on guard. Even if all the world calls right what God calls wrong, we should not be swayed. Even if the entire world laughs at Christianity, it doesn't matter, does it? Not, not really. If the entire world laughs at Christianity, yet that is the path to life. The way to destruction is wide. And the opinions and the thoughts of those on that path are loud. And the condemnation is acute. The second thing we see about this path is that it's easy. And of course, these are connected realities, right? I mean, it's far easier to go with the crowd than to walk against it, right? You mean you know that. It's easy to go with the crowd. It's the easy way. It doesn't take a lot of bravery to stand up and say, I believe what everybody else in the world believes. Not, no bravery at all. No courage there. I'm always amazed when someone does this. They come out publicly affirming a position that almost everyone in the world is taking and they come across as if it's a brave thing, a courageous thing. And they're, they're often like affirmed as if it's like if they do this on Facebook. They'll get loads and loads of comments. Hashtag courage. Hashtag bravery. But the reality is it's not brave to do what everyone else in the world is doing. It's not brave. It doesn't take courage to do that. In reality, the world's way is easy. It's the easy way that leads to destruction. And you know, you don't have to even think that big about it. I mean, all the decisions we make on this path of destruction are easy. It's super easy to just be concerned with myself. That takes no effort. It doesn't take me any effort at all to be selfish or to give no care about someone else. It doesn't, it's not work for me to give into my flesh. It's not hard for me to just do what feels good. It's not hard for me to stay bitter. It's not difficult for me to withhold mercy and forgiveness for peop- against people who've harmed me, for people who've harmed me. It's easy to complain. Grumbling is the easiest thing that I have ever done in my life. <laughs> not hard. It's so easy to covet. You know, sin is easy. Sin is easy. It is so easy. We even speak of sin in terms that show the ease of it, right? We say, I gave in to temptation. I gave in. Like I was resisting. That was hard. But then I gave in. And that's easy. Do you see? Giving in is the opposite of hard. It's easy. Sin is the easy way. The way being easy, of course, I mean, you know, you have to think this through. The way being easy does not mean that those on that path never suffer or that they never go through hard things or never themselves do hard things. The thing about both of these paths is that they are paths traveling through this life that's lived in a sin-fractured world, broken world. And, and sin itself leads to suffering. So there's suffering along with that, right? I, I, I sin, there's consequences to my sin. There's hardships on this path. There's hardships in life, no matter what. We all still eat bread by the sweat of our brow. But the way of destruction is the easy path, always. That ought to give you pause, Christian, as you seek for ease in this life. As you get weary of doing the hard thing. You know what I mean? I know you've been there. I've been there. You get weary of doing the hard thing and you think, man, I deserve a little ease. 
This is so hard. I love Jesus. This shouldn't be hard. You ever been there? You ever, you ever think that? Why does everything have to be so hard? Be on your guard. This is not the easy way. That's the easy way. The way to destruction is the easy way, not the way to life. And I'll say more on that in a moment. So the, the wide gate and easy way is the way to destruction. And it's funny. I mean, it's not funny. It's sad, but there's no, there's no signs along the way that advertise this, right? There's no signs. The way to destruction, 70 years this way. There's no signs like that. You don't see, no one's advertising. If you come this way, you will in the end die forever. <laughs> no, one's, no one's telling you this. And, 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 and you think, you know, how could everybody be so wrong? How could, how could that big crowd be mistaken? How could all these smart people who go this way be wrong? This must be the way to life. We don't think of it as the way to destruction. No one on the wide and easy path, I don't think, believes that the end is destruction. I think if they, if they, if they caught that, they would leave that path. But they don't, they don't see that for whatever reason. They don't see that. Maybe they're blind to that reality. Maybe they're not thinking it through. Maybe they think that there's no genuine end or that the journey itself is the end. Lots of people think that. You, you know, the YOLO mentality. This life itself is the end. Maybe we don't think that the, the, the destination can be known or that there must be life somehow, one way or another at the end of this. Jesus is warning us and he's clear. He's crystal clear. He's the sign saying, you go that way, 70 years, destruction. There is a sign. The path does not lead to life. It leads to destruction. It leads to being eternally separated from Christ. It leads to being forever out of the presence of God. Shielded from his glory. Shielded from his fellowship. It leads to having no hope. It leads to an eternity in a very real place called hell where there is no hope and no joy and no redemption and no life, no end. It's only destruction forever. The destination is destruction. Boy, that ought to make the path seem really unappetizing, right? I mean, if you had this opportunity to fly in this luxury jet, you know, to, uh, across the world, it, you know, just be in first class with everything nice, if you knew that the final destination of that plane was a fiery end, you wouldn't get on it, right? I mean, the free wine, the quick service, the fold-out sleeper chairs, the preferred boarding, that wouldn't seem worth it. Not if the end is destruction. So don't believe the lies. Don't buy it. Don't look at the journey and see the little pleasures and think, that's it. Look at the destination. The journey might be one of ease, not of joy though, but the journey might be one of ease, but the end is destruction. So the door that you don't want to take is the one that's wide and easy and that leads to destruction. Now let's just think about Jesus telling us, the one that he's telling us to take. The one that goes through the narrow door or narrow gate on a way that is hard and that leads to life. The narrow gate. The, the gate is narrow and I think that means a few things. First, as you can see right in this passage, the narrow way is the one that few find. The one that few people travel through. Most of the world 
they go on their own path or the other path. This path is narrow in that sense. Only a few find it. But that's not the only sense though that it's narrow. It's, it's, it's narrow in the sense that it is only through a very specific person that we enter this way. Remember, the wide way is full of little paths, crisscrossing, going this way and that, calling themselves different unique paths, but it's really one big wide gate. It's the open-minded gate, as it were. This way is narrow, and Jesus is the gate. He's the gate. He's the only way. You know, we have to read this. We have to read the whole Sermon on the Mount in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in light of all that Christ did and accomplished. That is, we don't read the Sermon on the Mount as if Jesus did not go to the cross, die for our sins, take our punishment, stand as a substitute in our place, lay down his life for us. We read this knowing all of that. Jesus preached the sermon knowing he was going to do that. That's where he was going. He made it clear throughout his ministry that there is one narrow way and it is through him. John 14, 6, Jesus declared plainly, I am the way. Do you love that? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. The way is narrow in the sense that it's only through Christ. You have to read the Sermon on the Mount that way. In, in other words, the, Jesus is not in the Sermon on the Mount giving us a, a list of rules in this sermon that if you keep pretty well, you will stay on the light, the way of life. That's not what he's doing here. It's not what the sermon is at all. We read, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are they that mourn and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness through the lens of the gospel. Knowing that this is a description of those who come to Christ by faith and are changed forever by him. They're poor in the sense that they have nothing to offer themselves to commend themselves to God. They, they mourn for they know that they have broken God's law, but they are blessed in that poverty and in that mourning for they find the work of Christ to be sufficient. They find his righteousness to be satisfying and to be thirst quenching. The way of faith alone in Christ alone is the narrow gate. That gate is so narrow, friends, that you will not be able to squeeze all the stuff that you want to bring through that gate. You're not going to, the, the gate is so narrow that you're not going to be able to bring in your good works as a way to commend yourself to God. You're not going to bring anything to add anything to the gospel. It's so narrow, none of it will go through there. You must go through Christ and Christ alone. He must be your confidence. You go empty handed through that gate. We bring nothing in our hands. We only trust what Christ has done. There's no quote. Uh, I posted this last week. It's from Spurgeon, a 19th century pastor. That's one of my heroes. I quote, I quote him a lot here. Uh, but he said, he said this. He says, my faith does not rest upon what I am or what I shall be or what I feel or what I know, but in what Christ is and in what he has done and what he is now doing for me. That, friends, is the narrow gate. Won't we enter this gate? Won't you lay down whatever baggage or treasure that you are holding on to that, that, that keeps you from fitting through that gate? I mean, some, for some, it's treasure, right? Remember the, remember the guy who came to Jesus and he says, what must I do to be saved? And in, in the end, Jesus said, you're gonna have to lay down your treasure. You have to go sell what you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And then you'll have life. 
but he couldn't do it. He had all this treasure. I can't get through the gate. He went away sad. Would you lay it down? Lay it all down. That's the gate you have to go through. Christ. We must drop the things that we hope will make us right before God, the other things, and simply walk through, trusting in Christ alone and his work alone. This is the narrow way. This is the gospel. This way is, let me just say more about this way because we need to hear Jesus here. I think, I, I think too many Christians today try to sway others to come to the gospel by promising that this way is somehow easier. But look what Jesus says here. This way is, without apology, the hard way. That is, if you, if you come this way, your life will not be full of ease. This will not be your best life now, as some have written. And that is not the call of the gospel. The call of the gospel is not to come for ease or comfort. The call of the gospel is not that if you come to Christ, you'll have no struggles or trials. You'll never be poor. This is the hard way. It goes the other way. The crowd is going that way. Christ is beckoning us to go in the opposite direction, to go the hard way. It's hard because it goes the other way. It's hard because it's loaded with suffering. Some of the common suffering that I mentioned before, just because we're in the body, we live in this world, this world is broken. We will suffer just because of that, but there's also very specific suffering. We suffer because we are Christians. We suffer because we're on that way. Christians throughout the centuries have found this way to be hard. Many have lost their livelihoods for the sake of the gospel. Many have lost their livelihoods for this way. Many have been persecuted. Many have lost friends following this way. Many of you have lost friends. Many have lost their families because of this way. It's not an easy way, friend. It's hard. But it's infinitely better. And not just because of where it leads. This is the hard way. This hard way is a way that's full of joy in Christ. Not easy. But in our suffering and hardship, we have undiminished joy in Christ and in his people. We might often be sorrowful, but we are always rejoicing. Someone said to me the other day, evening at dinner, uh, that they sensed that God was leading them to go on this mission. But at every turn, they were facing obstacles. Every, I don't think that they would mind me sharing this. It's, we, we had a nice conversation about it. Everything was hard. They were just sharing with me. Everything was hard. And they wondered out loud if they should take these things as a sign that God doesn't want them to go on this mission trip. You, you know what I mean? Everything's hard. Should I, should I, everything keeps coming up. Should I take these as like signs? Maybe God doesn't want me to do this. And we muse together in that conversation that the hard things do not equal being out of God's will or going against God's will. You know what I mean? We say this thing in Christian circles. We say that was a God thing. You ever said that? That was a God thing. And what we mean usually is that everything went really easy in that. Like, I don't, I've never heard anyone yet, maybe you should do this, like, uh, say that was a God thing and they talk about their suffering or their hard thing or their obstacle or the barrier that was before them to something. We, we think of God thing as easy, right? God thing, if, if God is in it, the way is easy. I mean, just think for a moment though. What mission enterprise would, 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 be, would be successful if that were the criteria? 
It's gotta be easy. It's gotta be easy. What, what, what unreached tribal group would ever hear the gospel if it had to be easy? What Christian would stand up and share among unbelievers their hope and faith in Christ, knowing that ridicule would come if the way has to be easy or it's not a God thing? You follow? We've, we've got to get that wrong thing out of our heads. This is not the way of ease. Serving Christ is hard. Full of hard things. But friends, it is a far better way. And let's note something else about this hard way because I don't want to read this in isolation away from everything else Jesus says. It is hard and it is also easy. Turn with me a few chapters to Matthew 11. I I read a dozen or so commentaries on this this week and every one of them went to this passage. And since everybody's doing it, it must be right, right? So Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Let's see how this hard way is also an easy way. Jesus said, and I think the way that, the reason everyone goes here is because Jesus says it's easy. He says, come to me, all ye who are labor and of heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See that? How can it be both easy and hard at the same time? It's hard because it is hard to let go of ourselves, to go against this world, to suffer hardships for Christ, to suffer loss for Christ. Those are hard things. And it is easy because we are not left to ourselves to travel this road on our own. Jesus is not just saying, enter this gate, walk this way, I'll meet you at the end. No, he's, he's with us. We come to him. We take his yoke. We take his burden. He takes ours. We come to him. Christ never leaves us or forsake us. He does not leave us to do this on our own. This is the hard way. And yet his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I love that. I love that. This is the better way. And finally, it's better because this is the way that leads to life. Jesus went to the cross and died so that we, all those who enter this gate, might have life. Jesus died and rose again, defeating death. And you know why? To lead us to life. What a blessed hope. All who trust in Christ will live forever. We don't just die and get forgotten. We live forever with Christ. This is the way to life. Jesus is the way to life. So no matter what suffering is in store for you in this world, no matter what you give up, no matter what you endure on this path for Jesus, friend, know that this way leads to life, to life, real life, pure life, life eternal, life without end. That alone makes the narrow gate worth entering and the wide gate worth forsaking. That makes hardships worth enduring. That's why we call it our blessed hope. This is the way that leads to life. Jesus is the way. So which gate will you enter? That's my question today for you. I I think that's the question from this text. Which gate will you enter? You, You have to ask this for yourself. Which gate will you enter? 
This, there is a sense in which this is a decision that we make all at once and, and also that we make every day, often throughout the day. Which path? And let me encourage you to not look around at what your friends are doing or what the world is doing. No, don't listen. Don't listen to what the world is yelling. Turn left, turn right. Listen to the, the one who made the map. Listen to Jesus. Enter the narrow gate. Look at the map before you. This is the way that leads to life. Jesus is the way that leads to life. Turn to him. The gate is narrow. The way is hard. Christian, if you, you, you have likely felt already that this way is hard and difficult. And you should be encouraged by this. Christ is with you. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Your hardships are light and momentary, as Paul called them. And this way leads to life forever. Yes, it is a hard way. If you turn to Christ and live for him, if you go through this gate for real, your life will be full of hardships. I can't soften that up for you. I can't, I I don't want to sway you with a lie. Your life will not be easy if you live for Christ. It would be good though. Much better. This is the way to life. And it is awesome. Jesus is with us. Jesus never forsakes us. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. So which path will you take? Oh, may we follow Christ today. And you know, I, I was thinking about all the different ways that I have to apply this in my life each day. Like, which, which, which path will I take right now as I'm faced with either sinning or not sinning? I mean, all of life's decisions kind of melt into this, don't they? Which path will you take? Will you follow Christ on a way that leads to life? Or will you turn from him on a way that leads to death? Two paths. And you will either take one or the other. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray that there will not be a one in here today who will walk on the path that is wide and easy and that leads to destruction. Lord, I pray today, I pray that no one would be sermon-proof today to this message, that all of us would hear what Christ is teaching and that we would enter the way that leads to life. And Lord, for Christians here who are suffering, I pray that you would encourage them today that though this way is hard, it leads to life. You are the way, you are the life, you are the truth. We can trust in you today. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Help us, Lord, I pray, to enter the narrow gate. In Jesus' name, amen.